Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combined trad values and an indie spirit. Hello, and welcome to the Hopcast, episode number 93. 93. And as you can hear, we are not in our barn, which is the home of Hobeck Books. But I do have something to say. What's that? There are three cat hairs on my microphone, even though we are miles away from the barn. Yes, the cat is back in the barn, waiting for <laughs> us to return. We're on Brighton Wedge, we're on Hove Seafront. Uh, we should be very accurate, and you can hear, I hope, the break of the waves just down the beach from where we're sitting. We're in Lex's Cafe, uh, and it is a beautiful Sunday morning. It is absolutely stunning here. I'm actually sat here in short, uh, no sleeves. I've got no sleeves, and it's warm enough to be sat here eating a bacon bat, drinking a divine cup of coffee in the middle of October with no sleeves. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And usually feel the cold. Anyway, uh, you're going to have a dip in a minute uh, after we finish the podcast. But uh, welcome to the show. My name is Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. Together we run Hobart Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Crime. Thrillers. Suspense. You always do this. Mysteries. You mess up the order and I can't remember which one is left. Is there an order? No. Well, I kind of... Yeah, we do have a sort of semi-established order and... We broke it this week and last week. Well, welcome to the show. And um, we are in Brighton for two reasons. We went to Shoreham Wordfest, the fatal Shore day of uh, Shoreham Wordfest yesterday, which had 20 amazing authors gathered uh, here in, uh, well, just up the road from where we are, about four miles away. Yeah, it was, it was, mostly took part in one big room. And there were, you know, as many authors as you see on a good day in Harrogate in that room. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, it was curated by Ellie Griffiths and William Shaw. William's, of course, been on the show. And, uh, well, we have big plans to be speaking to Ellie, but we won't reveal what they are at this stage. But it's very exciting. So, um, yeah, some amazing authors there, including uh, friends of the show. Uh, Vasim Khan was there. Yes, he admired my boots. He did. He did. Uh, anyway, we're not going to speak to them this week. This week's guests are two amazing guys in Oklahoma City. That's right. So Charles Martin is yep. the first one. And Jerry Bennett, the other. And they run Literati Press and started in 2010. Literati Press are uh, essentially creators of comics and graphic novels and, and, and such like. And they also have a bookshop in Oklahoma City itself. Yeah. It's a remarkable tale of enthusiasts for a certain genre getting together, getting the wherewithal to get started and bring the opportunity for Oklahoma artists and writers to find a marketplace. And then after about seven years, they've done another tilt, which is to really get, having been something of a collective, to really get business-like. 
Uh, and so this is the, the journey that we're, we're discussing with them later. And Jerry, as it turns out, is something of a legend in comic circles <laughs> in the United States. Yeah, he's actually he's got a bit of a following, hasn't he? Well, he gets T-shirts. They, they make T-shirts of him every year for a particular festival that he attends, and uh, he's mobbed. And I think he's such a lovely bloke, you can understand why. Uh, he is a lovely bloke. They yeah. both, they both we, were great. So we, We've already decided we're going to visit them in Oklahoma, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we, we, we keep making these decisions. Uh, chance to be a fine thing, but let's, uh, let's see. <clears throat> so we're talking to Charles and Jerry of Literati Press just a little later in the programme. So in terms of, uh, of news, we're going to be talking to Rosalind Turner as well, who organised Shore and Word Fest uh, and the 30 volunteers who put it together. It's, it's an amazing festival, given you know, that it's all done through ticket sales. Um, and uh, it was lovely to speak to her after the event yesterday. But let's um, just deal with some news. The first story that we wanted to touch on, we don't often sort of look at the uh, beyond the bookseller for our news items, and um, actually, to be fair, there weren't that many in the bookseller that, that caught our eye. No, lots of scooping and swooping. Oh, uh, lots of scooping and swooping and snap-up deals and, you know, um, you know, outstanding debut, la, la, la. Anyway, that sort of stuff. But in the United States, Publishers Weekly is re- has revealed yet more worrying figures on the sale of uh, print books in the United States. For the last three quarters, sales have declined, and they report that last week sales were 8% down on the previous year. And to th- that extent, uh, HarperCollins have announced some redundancies to try and uh, you know, rein in the losses or the, you know, the impact of the decline in book sales now let's put that in context of course we've discussed how lockdown boosted uh, I hate that word actually increased sales on books for a, a considerable period yeah. some of them in print but uh, obviously Mostly a lot e-books, of it yeah. e-books yeah because obviously bookshops were sh- shut across the world for, for a large chunk of the time and people had time to read if they were fur- yeah. furloughed furloughed furlonged <laughs> furlonged furloughed furloughed <laughs> Flogged. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said for long, as in um, uh, right. racing car, uh, um, horses. Yes. Anyway, well, I digress. Yes, you do. Um, and you know, I think this is this is uh, something of a worrying trend. But I mean, are we surprised, given the worldwide economic news at the moment, with interest rates shooting up, inflation through the roof, and in this country, various other things going on on top of that, mortgage rates. Uh, shooting up and people, uh, you know, on average £500 a month worse off uh, if you take the average uh, mortgage. So No, we're not surprised. No, we're not surprised. And it's not going to get better in a hurry, especially with fuel prices going up still. So uh, that's some news from the United States. In this country, I mean, clearly some optimism in the marketplace because the former... Well, we have a lovely new Chancellor. <laughs> yes. I think I'll... I'll, I'll um, Refrain from quoting Miriam Margolis, uh, who was on Radio 4 and got caught off guard. But uh, it was quite colourful what she described um, about uh, Jeremy Hunt. But she didn't use the word rainbow. No, she didn't. But um, some optimism because uh, Bookature founder um, Oliver Rhodes created Bookature a few years ago and then sold it on uh, a great you know, uh, profit. Um, to one of the bigger publishing houses. He's back in the market with a new publishing house on the same principles as Bookature. So it's going to be called Storm Publishing. He's taking quite a number of the staff that he started Bookature with. And it's the same, well, essentially the same model that we rely on 
which is you know a very high share of net prof, uh, net royalties to authors, focusing on ebooks, audio, and print on demand paperbacks. Yeah, so basically the same. Yeah, and um, this is you know I think this is you know a sign for optimism in the sense that somebody can raise the capital needed to to build the company already. He's been working on this for some time since he sold Bookature. Yeah. Um, but I would say that, from our experience, that is quite a difficult situation. I think, you know, clearly if he's got people he trusts and, and know all aspects of the business, it's got a great chance. Of, we don't know how much money is behind it either. But uh, I presume he'll be looking to do the same he did with Bookature, which is get it to a certain level of maturity and yeah. sell it to a bigger publisher. Yeah, possibly, yeah. So uh, that's uh, the news for this week. Now, we, let's let's talk to, to Rosalind. Rosalind Turner has uh, been running Shoreham Wordfest for 11 years, she tells us. And this was a dream that she and some friends came up with. It's grown and grown like a snowball. Having visited things like Hay and Wye Festival, Cheltenham Festival. Yeah, I think they just used to gather in cafes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and, 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 she, and she tells it. Well, we'll let her tell us the story. But essentially, she felt that quite a lot of the festivals were very repetitive in the sense of the number of the sort of people they invited to, to appear. And actually, uh, Cheltenham's been going on the last week or so, and it's the same old names, uh, frankly. So um, she felt that something else could be done. But the first time, this is the first time they've actually had a dedicated day for crime fiction, and it just so happens Brighton is full of great crime authors. And murderers. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't wish to comment. I mean, Graham Bartlett fought them for ages. Um, anyway, it's uh, it is a brilliant place, and uh, two of the local authors that have, have star quality are Ellie Griffiths and William Shaw. And she roped them in to call uh, and put together an amazing day of fabulous talents. Now, what we're going to do? We didn't record any further interviews yesterday because we were setting them up for future weeks. So we have quite a few, actually, don't we? We have, we have a, a lot of really pipeline. exciting names coming on the programme uh, in the foreseeable future, culminating in our 100th edition in December of the Hobcast Book Show. And also, I'm not going to say too much, but a rather special New Year's edition. Uh, yeah, well, we're, we're working on that. We're going to call it the... Well, I, I was thinking about how do you, what do we call it, and it was just obvious. It hit me in the middle of the night last night. I'd had a few drinks, but um, I was calling it the, you know, the Hobcaster Nanny or something like that after um, Jules Holland's show. I mean, it's very obvious. It's Hobmanay. Hobmanay, <laughs> isn't it? Of course, it's Hobmanay. You didn't wake me up. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I almost did, but you, you know, sleep was hard to find last night. Anyway, uh, Hobmanay show is going to be very special. We'll, yes. we'll, we'll reveal details clearly nearer the time, but um, we're looking forward to that too. So uh, let's hear from organiser of Shore and Wordfest, Rosalind Turner. Rebecca, we've had a fabulous day, have we not? Absolutely, brilliant. I love events like this. Yeah, we go to a lot, and this has been, I think, arguably our favourite of the year, or certainly top three. Yes, yeah. We were just talking about the um, slaughter in Southwold. In fact, it reminds me a little bit of the one in yes. Southwold, that sort of intimate atmosphere and um fatal shore has been the event today it's part of shore and word fest and it's all down to you rosalind turner thank you so much for speaking <laughs> to us you uh, 
wound up our day today with um, Ellie Griffiths and William Shaw on, on the uh, on the stage there, saying this has been your dream for what eleven years to, to bring the crime writers here. That's right. Yes. So um, a few friends and I, we used to go to Hay and White. It was a big adventure. We used to go together as a group, have a fabulous time. And in the early days, it was quite an exciting, innovative thing. And it gradually became more and more successful, but also more and more corporate. And we got a little bit fed up of the trek, but also really just seeing the same big authors going everywhere. And we looked around as I'd moved out from Brighton. We looked around Shoreham. There's lots of interesting people here. We thought surely we could get something going. Started off in cafes with a few people reading their own work, a bit of rehearsed reading. And it's gradually grown and grown. And now it's still a mixture of trying to support local creativity, but also bringing big people in, successful people, sharing those ideas. And this, for me, today, Fatal Shore has been the culmination of, of the big dream that we had, 11 years ago because it's been 20 best-selling crime authors who stayed the whole day and mixed with a hundred people that have come from all over the place some people from scotland kent all around london and also a lot of local people as well so me for me it's been as i say the culmination of the dream and i've had a fabulous time not just organizing it i've had a great time it's one of those events where you just oh, look, there's so-and-so, pinch yourself, you know. <laughs> oh, look, there's, oh, yeah, they won the dagger for this, that, and the other. It's amazing. I, I, I mean, it's great that you had, you know, headline authors as strong as Ellie and William, uh, who are two of the nicest people in the world, let alone just the book industry. So they've done a heck of a lot towards this, haven't they? They brought the authors in, and they, they, last year they came for, for what part of WordFest, and the pair of them were in conversation with each other, and they, they had a real... They really enjoyed the atmosphere. It's a very responsive audience here, and it's quite relaxed as well. And so it was their suggestion, well, together with myself, that we would have this day. They've done an awful lot, their networks of authors, and to pull them in for a whole day and to stay with us and to give their time, they've been brilliant. And William, in particular, is a fantastic organiser. I mean, <laughs> I'm a good organiser. You have to be to organise yeah. one of these things, but he is fantastic. No, I didn't know that about him. Yeah, he's really good. He's got, well, I mean, that must be his music industry background where he was herding cats yeah. um, you know, teenage pop stars and things like that around the place but uh, I mean you are very fortunate in your setting because everyone loves to come to Brighton and the south coast don't they and Shoreham you know I used to be a reporter here I ought to sort of declare my my interest I used to, first of all in Chichester and then I was the Brighton reporter for BBC Southern Counties which it was in those days um, Shoreham used to get a bad rap but something like this... I really can't understand that. This is my first visit to Shoreham, you see. So yeah, but you're from Staffordshire, so, you know, <laughs> this, this, is, this is glamour. It is glamour. Yeah, you've got... You have, are you really? Yeah, <laughs> well, there you are. We'll have to talk about that in a minute. Wait, wait, I, I came down to Sussex University in 1978 and, and lived around in and around Brighton for years and years. And Brighton tends to think it's the best place in the world, and it is pretty good. And a lot of the time you wouldn't go to Shoreham because it's further along the coast, quite industrial. It's got the port there. It's gradually having this sort of renaissance it was really big in the middle ages <laughs> it was yeah you can tell by the church it's amazing <laughs> it was really big in the middle ages and it's, it's having a renaissance it's got a fabulous bridge over onto the sea loads of people come to visit it now because it's actually easier than brighton it's smaller it's very friendly lovely yeah. cafes and great charity shops i have to say <laughs> <laughs> everyone's got charity shops but yeah they're great ones here yeah. um it's funny because i was telling rebecca there is the millionaire's row um, I don't know quite what you call it around here, but it's, it's the Stella Street of Shoreham, isn't it? Where next to the port, 
that you've got all these millionaires and very famous people, Fatboy Slim and Paul McCartney had a place there and Nick Berry and all that sort of thing. Um, you ever been tempted to get some of them involved in a, in a word fest? <laughs> Nick Berry. They've, they've got to be interesting uh, authors or speakers. I mean, we've had all sorts of people. Last night we had Clive Myrie from yeah, the BBC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had Jeremy Hunt on Wednesday. Oh, well, that was prescient. Yeah, yeah that's and look what happens when you come to Shore and Word Fest. You know, two days later, you're on the of the Exchequer. What's he to do with that's you next. He strikes me as someone who's quite... You've got, I mean, he didn't come over particularly well as, as uh, Educational Health Secretary, but seems to be actually quite grounded nowadays yeah he, he comes over as being quite sincere he's still very he was interested in health he's going to be after to interest in finance now isn't he but he struck me as being quite sincere authentic in himself um i think he's tried for leadership and didn't get it and so he, he was quite relaxed he was talking about health uh, at the time so yeah he seemed quite a nice guy I, I think he had no idea that he was going to be <laughs> chancellor two days later no. well he got a call apparently i've read this the, the account gets a call at 9 30 in the morning and he told his wife put the phone down it's a prank call and it was liz truss directly <laughs> trying to call him up he was in belgium he was in brussels on on a on a break and uh he <laughs> so he's saying look put the phone down it's going to be a prank no way anyway prime minister calls back and says you know i want you to become chancellor and he said i'll i'll think about it quite cool but the thing is quasi quatang didn't know he was going to get sacked by the time that she made that call so that's brutal isn't it oh politics is ruthless isn't it yeah <laughs> so we've had everything in wordpress we've had political debates we had Raphael bear and yasmin alibi brown gary gibbon who's the yeah. leader of channel four yeah but we've also had local poets local authors we've had attila the stockbroker who lives locally oh yeah 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 so I, I, i'm very familiar with him but <laughs> yeah. we used to do a lot with brighton and hope albion of course he's been the uh, mc on the on the tannoy there at yeah. the with dean stadium but uh, yeah no well, i know he, him very well He's kept the faith. He's totally uh, integral to how he always has been, so yeah. authentic. And, uh, yeah, so the next day, tomorrow is our last day. Uh, we've got a children's event. We've got Sally Bailey, who's a fantastic author, very different, very intriguing. Uh, we've got the Madame Blanc Mysteries with Sally Lindsay and Sue Vincent, who co-authored the uh, Channel 5 series uh, that's been filmed, uh, along with the director who lives on our... Um, fancy bit of the beach uh, yeah. which was just very ordinary and it's called old fort road That's but right. it was known locally as old farts road. <laughs> whereas it's now gone i think we've got ronaldo or somebody uh, oh right yes uh, ronaldo caprio well possibly a version of ronaldo yeah. um, <laughs> I've got one question i've really got to ask in terms of these festivals because a lot of them uh, have struggled to bring back the numbers that they had prior to the lockdowns and all those sort of things Financially, it's, it's tough to, you know, when you've gone perhaps dark for two years, gone online for two years, all that sort of thing. How's it been? For, I mean, how difficult is it to raise the funds to have a, uh, a festival of this scale? We run entirely on ticket income, and we always have done. Mm. But that only works because we're all voluntary. And we've got an army of volunteers. We've got 30 volunteers. I, I do everything voluntarily, and my partner does. Uh, we pay our lovely tech. We've got two techs, and we, build, we film everything. So everything that we've done will be on our website filmed. Pay the techs, pay the performers proper money. Mm. We've paid the authors a very small amount of money. They were, but they, you know, they, they apparently they don't always get paid. That's no, true. they don't. So yeah, we yeah. believe in paying the people who are creative. 
and we we underpin that with all our voluntary effort and we get fantastic audiences you know mm. we've yeah. had really and we haven't got very big venues here this is actually our biggest venue you could get 300 in here if you wanted to it'd be pretty crammed and we have done people like John Humphreys but um, yeah so it's underpinned by voluntary effort and, and we make money we, we, we don't make much we cover our costs and every year there's a little bit more to add into the coppers yeah. which yeah. means we can subsidise the children's events the bit more out there events to try and bring in more diversity and, and more creativity really so yeah it's, it, it just happens to work for us well, that's more, great more power yeah, to great. you I'll tell you what I'm going to leave you with Rebecca to talk Shropshire things oh <laughs> Thank you so much and uh, for hosting this and uh, making everyone feel incredibly welcome. Well, thank you for coming. Not at all. Our pleasure. So where, from, where She looked remarkable, remarkably energetic for someone who's been running a two-week literary festival with one day left to go. <laughs> I mean, she's just amazing. I mean, if we all had sort of the energy reserves of, of a Rosalind, then we would be, you know... Well, I know, because at that point when we interviewed her, at the end of the day, and I was I was drooping, and that's just one day. <laughs> I was just as a guest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not uh, even a guest. <laughs> well, there were so many interesting perspectives and interesting people there. Um, I have to say that credit to, to William and Ellie for putting together the most diverse festival panel in the history of British publishing, in terms of the voices that were there and the people. So uh, the likes of um, uh, Nadine Matheson um, and uh, various other authors, you know, very, you know, in the way that Harrogate has <laughs> had to catch up but hadn't really managed it. Um, Dorothy Coombson was there as well. Um, it was um, it was really good, really good. But uh, some really interesting insights into the craft Yes, so the, the the discussion, the panels were a little bit different from the normal um, um, discussion points that we've seen at the you know crime fest in Harrogate, and actually I I felt that we learned a lot, even though we've been to quite a few now, we yeah. learned a lot as publishers. Yeah, and I, I had to put my hand up at one point and start talking about publishing because <laughs> the, the, the panel was discussing how to get published, and they didn't have a publisher on the on the. On, well, the, on the stage. I mean, she to, to be fair to the... the Joe Furness, yeah. Yeah, so she, she did say if she'd had time, she would have got us to <laughs> contribute a bit more. And she, she didn't know that we were there. So, yeah, I think maybe next time there might be an opportunity. You never know. Well, it, it would be nice. I mean, it, 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 it'd be a great opportunity to bring some independent um, publishers together on a panel. Yeah, it's just, well, we've it's not, this, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. But we were delighted to be there. And then we went to a 50th birthday party afterwards for one of my oldest friends. And, and he drank whiskey, then gin. <laughs> yeah. Well, and pl- um, Japanese plum wine before that, so I really was Actually, mixing my drinks. Actually, you cocktail, didn't you? She had wine as well, but you are such a happy drunk. You I, really are. I didn't I love used it. to be, but I am nowadays, oh, you yeah. Are. And a... you are, and you love everybody. And, and... Yeah, <laughs> what's Brighton? Everyone loves each other. Even the person who wanted to talk to you about Genesis of the Daleks all night. With oh my God, yeah, yeah, that was about fifteen-minute conversation about Tom Baker and Genesis and the, you know the minutiae, and we were repeating whole tracts of Genesis of the Daleks. But my problem was that it was hard to take this person seriously because he had pom poms hanging from both of his yeah, ears. Yeah, woolly pom poms, which were knitted by my friend Vicky. He seemed oblivious after a while, as mm. if that was his look. Well, the, the yeah. Well, it was almost Dalek-like, wasn't it? Because they were black pom-poms and they were like the, <laughs> the things that go around the skirt of a, of, a, of a Dalek. But the point where he brought me his iPhone cable and wanted me to do the Tom Baker scene where he discusses whether he should touch the two wires together to end the Daleks yes, that at, was... at, the, the, at the creation point. 
was point. Hitler. And then, of course, <laughs> I tried to do it. But have I the right? You know, that kind of thing. You did, and I watched on... Well, I do doubt myself, you know. (laughs) Um, I'm also optimistic that a future episode will feature Tom Baker because uh, we mentioned last week how I wanted to have the voice of Tom Baker as my sort of dream. And I gather, as I was looking through some things this week, he's actually very keen to appear on podcasts. Well... Uh, and the beauty of getting Tom Baker on is you don't have to come up with any questions because he'll just come up with some of the he'll most amazing talk, yeah. an- anecdotes you will ever hear. So I'm going to make the approach. Of course, he has been a writer. He's written Doctor Who books recently. Um, and he's still very much playing the Doctor in audio. Uh, and indeed, Robert Dawes has appeared with Tom Baker in Doctor Who audio <laughs> recently. So lots to... We, well, I'm sure we could put the approach in and, and, and maybe... Well, look, you know, he's getting on a bit. He's not looking the best. He's getting around with a stick, and he's got very thin now. He's 88. Got to get it in before it's too late. Well, there you go. That's your task. That's my task for next week. Right, let's get into our, our big interview then. Uh, we, um, you, you may remember just a few weeks ago we talked to Amy Lee, um, who had set herself up as a publisher in Oklahoma, and she said, I've got two friends who would love to come on your show, and I think they'd be brilliant for you to hear from. And she was right. So she put put us in touch with uh, with Jerry Bennett, who is a, a veteran uh, illustrator and and well, you might call it a cartoonist, but not that's not really the he's an artist. Yeah, he would consider himself an artist. And Charles Charles Martin, who's the um, the owner of the publishing company and also the bookshop. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And um, initially, what you'll hear from from Charles about the, the journey and all the business lessons that he's learnt. And then we, we, we widened the discussion to bring Jerry in and, and talk about the joy of creating, uh, you know, graphic storytelling. I think that's how I'm going to tell, describe it because I think the, 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 the real point of interest here is how do you tell complex and moving stories in so few words backed up by brilliant artwork and we're talking about comics that are 22 pages long, very few words, and yet they're dealing with some big issues and a complete arc of a story. And the emotion as well. I mean, they talked yes. in the interview about how to convey emotion through this medium, and I think that is very interesting. For writers who... Uh, crime writers who just write narrative, I think, you know, they will learn stuff from... I, I think so, and I think, you know, it's no coincidence that J.D. Kirk, Barry Hutchinson, who's been on the show before when we were at London Book Fair is a former, still writing graphic novels, but that's his background, and Robbie McEwen as well, who won last year's uh, debut Bloody Scotland Award. Uh, also, from that background, you learn great storytelling by having to do it in very few words and conveying it through pictures as well. You can, cr- you can create those pictures in a novel, then you're on to a winner. Let's talk to Jerry and Charles. Well, it's a little weird doing this interview in a completely unfamiliar location. I know, we're in Berkshire? Uh, we're actually in Buckinghamshire. Oh. <laughs> you keep up with it. So we're actually in my, in my sister's and my brother-in-law's study in, in Buckinghamshire. We're on our way to Brighton uh, for an episode that you will hear uh, or will have heard, perhaps, uh, at some point. And uh, we are crossing the pond to speak to Oklahoma. We where are. we meet Jerry Bennett and Charles Martin from Literati Press Publishers. And it's a great pleasure to speak to you. Thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, thank you for uh, rushing in out of the rain to uh, <laughs> happen. 
Well, okay. it wasn't that much of a hardship given that we were given free coffee and, and very and, attractive and biscuits. Lovely biscuits, gluten-free, <laughs> ginger chocolate biscuits. Very good, I Ooh. recommend it. <laughs> our, our, our bookshop actually so we have a bookshop in the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City and we uh, share the building with a donut shop that does gluten-free donuts in there oh and you're kidding right, I need to get my passport renewed straight away you do yeah. you I'll do treat you. Oh, that's amazing and my wife is a, a home baker and so she is in the middle of like uh, like a major amount of bakes right now so she's like my 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 office is a constant wafting of different breads and cinnamon rolls and oh my god oh it's it's awful <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, have really every like... sympathy and you're so a... trim I, jerry <laughs> it, really, it really is um well you it's must remarkable have a... yeah I'm, I'm sorry, I'm watching a biscuit now, so this is really very <laughs> No, I've, yeah, I've had so to we really could share them with that. you. We could pass them over the, mm. the, the link. <laughs> it's really nice. It's spicy. It's got lots of cinnamon in it. Anyway, oh. thank you so much for joining us, guys. And, and um, this um, is a great opportunity. We've been trying to, I suppose, we share the same language in a way um as we uh, you know the uk and the us but we have a very different publishing culture i think and and that is something that fascinates me and i know it fascinates yeah it does fascinate me yeah and you know we're coming at as you are as independent publishers uh but one of the things that uh, marks out the successful uk independent publishers and authors is that they understand the American market and make a breakthrough because that's where, if you're dealing with Amazon particularly, where the sales are. Um, and so, you know, anytime you have a conversation with people, you know, as you are in Oklahoma with a bookshop and a publishing arm, um, it, it we find, and I'm sure our listeners do, a lot of interesting points of continuity, but also different perspectives as well. What appeals to an American audience and your readership. So, but you're coming at it from a, from a different point of view yet further we're published publishing traditional crime fiction mostly uk based you're doing graphic novels or at least that's the core of your original business isn't it um so we started out in 2010 doing comics and novels so we were wanting to publish both kind of concurrently because being in oklahoma which is very far from the publishing hubs in uh the u.s um we wanted to create a platform where interesting stories could be told um, and try and lift up the literary community within Oklahoma, which is usually like, if you want to be a writer, you gotta, you gotta flee, you gotta go somewhere else. Um, The comics were the side that ended up getting a little bit more traction, especially in the last five years. And because of that, we decided a last, our, 2020 we made a conscious decision to go all in on comics um and really try to build that side up because we'd had a couple of successes uh heathen by natasha alterici had had been a big big breakthrough for us and um so we decided that we wanted to really build that side up and then once we really kind of felt like we knew the industry better than to pivot back to fiction somewhere down the road so and so far, so good. Um, everything that we're putting out right now is comics, though we will still play with fiction on a smaller scale. But the stuff that we're trying to push out um, through distribution and a lot, you know, going international, that's going to be mostly focused on comics. 
Uh-huh. So, I mean, take us back to that period in 2010. What, what, how did the conversation go? Let's do this. <laughs> because I remember, does, I remember yeah. hours um, in the car and uh, all our big decisions are made in the car. But, um, you know, it, it's it's quite a, a leap from the idea to the actual doing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I was part of this artist cooperative uh, called uh, Rampage Artists. And I was a journalist at the time. Mm-hmm. And the we did all kinds of bonkers stuff, like these really large-scale events, um, uh, like basically massive parties. And then those parties would then fund our promotional trips just around. And at that point, I was writing as a journalist, and I was always writing fiction, but I hadn't published anything yet. And one of the artists, because um, I was waiting for the traditional, you know, the traditional path, get in, get an agent, get um, get picked up by, you know, somebody in New York or somebody in L.A. and, you know, move on, because that's what I was ta- taught in college. Um, but this artist told me that um, I should take my fate in my own hands, because that was kind of what we were doing as well. And rather than waiting for somebody to do it for me, just do it myself. And I knew a lot of other really talented comic uh, our storytellers, uh, some were fiction, some were comics, and we were all kind of in the same boat. And so I was, um, we decided to try and replicate the Rampage model for publishing. And so very DIY, very um, kind of indie punk attitude where just like we don't have to know how to do it which is do it badly and then figure you know learn our lessons and we just progressively get bigger so nobody can tell us no as long as we have our own fate in our hands nobody can tell us no and we had you know a couple of our early successes um you know a lot of mistakes basically every mistake that we could make we made yeah and um so after about four or five years once we really kind of started getting an idea of what we should be doing we uh, started building out a mentorship wing and the hope with that was to get more publishers working uh, more people working in the space because the more publishers and the more you know creators that were taking a more professional view of this um, the more Oklahoma voices were going to get represented the bigger we became as a market and um, and then the bookstore ended up happening. Uh, we had Heathen breakthrough on us. We had a couple of other uh, interesting, interesting moments that raised our visibility. Um, and then, so whenever we got to 2020, we had three comic book series that were all looking to release about the same time. And all three of them, we knew they had a chance of breaking through. They had that same kind of spark that Heathen did. So um, we had ended up losing Heathen. Um, we helped move it to a larger publisher because it kind of outgrew us. Yeah. And so we started talking. We brought Jerry in. We brought some other um, of the more, more the more talented people that we that we knew working in Oklahoma. And we said, okay, so if this happens again, if we have a title take off on us, what do we have to build to make sure that we can support it at any level, no matter how big it gets? Um, and we ended up kind of rebuilding Literati Press as a publisher from the ground up um, to prepare for the, prepare for that success. Hopefully, that it would come, and yeah, and it kind of changed it changed everything for us. Is kind of the moment that we actually grew up as a publisher. Yes, 
I mean, that's quite a process, though, isn't it? I mean, to yeah, I mean, I suppose that we look at reflect on our two and a half years, and yeah, I, you know, in, in all honesty, yeah, we've made mistakes uh, and continue to do so. It's a natural part of the learning process. But what did you? Where did you tilt to then from what you were doing before? What 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 did you stop doing? What did you emphasize? What did you reorganize? Um, you know, as to, to, to sustain that success? Um, I think it was a conscious decision on our part to start really looking at projects, not for. To, so we used to, and, you know, we still do this on a smaller point, but we used to be like, if somebody came with us with a weird, fun idea that we're like, we want to see that exist, we would take it on and be like, cool, we'll print out 100 copies and sell those out. And then we move on with our lives. Um, and that's great. And we'll probably always do that from time to time. But one of the issues of that was it was taking our bandwidth away. So we had these other titles that may have a chance of breaking through and really getting outside of Oklahoma and gets any out of the region. Um, so we decided to slow down and every title that we took on be more methodical about how we released it to start hiring employees. We were a volunteer, volunteer only organization for the longest time. And, and we still have to work off of a lot of volunteer labor, but we do have, mm-hmm several employees now that are dedicated to the craft and then also like thinking through like advertising distribution um really being more thoughtful about how we message where we target our efforts and also bringing in this excruciating um table edit process that um ensures that every project product that goes out is as pristine as it possibly can be you know mistakes are always going to happen it's publishing you know it's whenever you've got thousands upon thousands of things a couple of those things are going to slip through the cracks a couple of mistakes are going to slip through the cracks and it's not like painting or other types of artistry where you know you'd be like oh that's just style you know, with <laughs> that's always my excuse yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so really basically just making sure that we function more as a company rather than just as a group of you know, idealistic do-gooders. Um, and we still always want to keep that idealism, you know, as a part of what we do, but we want to make sure that we give our titles that tr- put their trust in us, the critters who put their trust in us, give them the best possible shot of getting their story out to a wider market yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it because i think we feel sort of a similar you, you've got the indie values as we call it our motto is actually um what is our motto <laughs> trad values. <laughs> values. indie spirit indie spirit so you know the trad values is is that business head and that um, and the presentation of the product and the presentation so the, that the determination that it's going to be as best as you can make it yeah that it should be technically indistinguishable from anything that the major publishers are putting out there right but, you know there isn't that drop off in cover quality or blurb writing or indeed formatting or any of that stuff and yeah. you know you're getting quality book because that's the first thing people always assume from indie publishers it will be 
a pile of crap. Um, it might be interesting crap, but nonetheless, it will, it will look rubbish um, and feel rubbish. And that's not what we, we, we try to avoid that. But that indie spirit is a different thing. It's yeah, taking so, risks. And it you, resonated you, with so, me when yeah. you said about the fun projects that come along. You know, we get those yeah. as well where we think, oh, my God, that's amazing. But it's so sort of niche that our trad heads would think, okay, how are we going to market that? Yeah. And it's it's really difficult, I think, to sort of have the both or get the happy medium between the two sometimes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and we also like have to fight the have to fight the um the urge to also then start be like, okay, we're starting to see some fine financial success. We're not I don't know that there's very many indie publishers that are actually working firmly in the black, but um you know, we're still, we're seeing a lot of momentum and to not start pandering to the market and lose that quality control. Cause really ultimately like without the thing that sets us off as different, you know, we're, we're never going to be able to out, you know, do penguin. No. Uh, so what we have to put out has to be, has to be both has to be totally different than what you would get out of the larger publishers, because then that justifies you know, people taking a chance and the stuff that we put out, although it's fun and well-written, it's also unique. Um, and there is something challenging about it. That's the, those are the types of stories that we want to do. Uh, we don't want to put out a standard genre story. I mean, we do work in genre quite a bit, but we want to make sure that whatever we're doing is surprising and unique. Um, and therefore like satisfying to, to the, to the types of people who are, willing to take a chance on an indie title yeah I mean, it's an interesting thing i mean that process of recognizing that things needed to change and that you owed it to the people you signed up to deliver a certain level of potential success you know to sort of um make the changes that uh not necessarily guaranteed success but made it much more likely yeah at least um, give them a, shot, a fighting shot yeah but that's difficult philosophically for presumably the people that you started out life with um within your literati press family some of them must have fallen by the wayside as a result or found it difficult to go with you did you manage to to take them with you on this uh, in this change Uh, of analysis so jerry's been with us i can't remember the first time that we did something together it was that ant's short story so jerry's been with us for a long time um we have you know we have a lot of people who have you know, come in and out and some of them have gone on to have like bigger success. We've had a number of writers and artists move on to bigger situations, but like there are like, you know, there are always going to be those, you know, mulligans where I wish I had another shot at it. Like I wish we'd have had this process in place whenever, you know, Dustin put out his, you know, fantastic little graphic novellas that were just really weird, but incredibly well executed. Um, and but Dustin, you know, he's still in the fight. He's still doing um, covers for us. He's got another graphic novella. I wish we had been able to hang on to Natasha. And luckily, she came back home. She's the uh, Natasha Alterici. She's the one that did Heathen. Yes. Um, I wish we would have held on to her because I, I held on to Heathen, but we just there was just no way because it was like me. I was the infrastructure at Literati Press at that point. I was having to mail out thirty to forty individual comics every single day, and I just. <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it. So it was the right move, but it was still like heartbreaking. But luckily Natasha came back 
to do a one shot with us, which released a couple months back and she's working on her debut graphic novel um, that'll be putting out through us. So I'm lucky that a lot we've, you know, even though like there were really fantastic titles that if we'd have known more, if we'd have known now what we knew then would have had different fates. Um, Yes. I think it seems like everybody knew that our hearts were in the right place and we were doing the best we could but we were trying to build something in a state where it just simply didn't exist without, I was waiting tables all the way up to like three years ago, two and a half years ago. And like, if we needed another batch of books, I just pick up another shift that week, you know? So we were, we were scraping by as much as we could. So I think we got a lot of grace because of that, but also a lot of goodwill because, you know, the sacrifices were very evident that all of us were having to make. Yeah. Mm, I think that's very important is when you've got the passion you're sharing the passion with everybody yeah. you're working with. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I think um but there's a limit, isn't there? I mean, you, you know, there's a, there must have been we've had <laughs> last week I, I, last week's podcast um we picked up on a theme that had emerged from the comments of one of our contemporaries in the British independent market, a very creatively successful company and on the face of it uh, you know, doing well financially as well by translating great crime writers from around the world and bringing them yeah. to the English market. And um, she was saying that she's, you know, that Karen Sullivan, I'm referring to from Arenda Books, was saying, you know, she was thinking of selling up the company because it just, you know, spending money to stand still, losing faith in the, the whole industry, really. The festivals yeah. aren't attended like they used to be. It's really hard to keep, you know, keep going. Mm. And it does feel how, like that. I, I, I just got to ask the question because you know it, it has had a, a big response for us on social media. People are hearing me say the same sort of things and, and echoing what she was saying and how difficult it is. How many times over those years, particularly when you're waiting tables, do you think, God, is this worth it? Is it worth the hassle? If you're sending out, you know, you're physically having to mail out 40 comics a day, um, as <laughs> and finding the time for that and to do everything else. Mm. Did how many times did you ever feel that way? I I don't know that I ever truly lost faith. Um, I think there were times where I questioned our approach and whether, you know, what we were doing, whether or not it was working, uh, whether or not we were ever going to get any momentum. But I'm mm. a writer you know, to my core, like it yeah. is the thing that it is the thing that makes life livable for me. Um, and I knew I was going to be writing because I've, you know, even like in the midst of like hellish boot camp, you know, I was still finding places to write. So <laughs> it is a constant in my life. So not having literati press as a tool to not only get out my own writing but the you know the writings of others and stories of others was just unfathomable there was just no way there was no future that I could survive without that outlet that it's provided you know and I've always thought like you know this would be a lot easier if I went through a traditional publisher and I've been published elsewhere um but I always go back to the thought of like the memories of what it was like growing up in Oklahoma where I had no idea what the first step was. I didn't, 
I didn't know what the path would be for somebody who didn't have money and live in New York and could just flow by, you know, in Brooklyn, you know, off of a trust fund. Like I didn't, I just didn't know what that path Mm. was in that kind of aimlessness and, you know, creative dissolution because you don't have a community of people around you that, you know, share, you know, your values and have that are excited by the same things that you did. And that's something that we built with Literati Press. And we're, and because that friendship and community is a core part of who we are, you know, it was always worth it. But the sacrifices were tough and the not, and still, you know, we still don't really fully know what, how to do this right. We've made a lot of progress, but, you know, we think about this, like, you know, how do we continue making comics? Comics are incredibly expensive to make and the market Mm -hmm. is super low. So like, we're constantly thinking, okay, is this viable, like in the long term? And if it's not Mm -hmm. like, how do we change? So it's never, should we continue doing? It's like, the question is, is what we're doing right now working? And if not, what, what do we need to change? And sometimes we're like, man, it would be easier just to go back and just whenever we find a crazy concept, like print a hundred copies of it and just sell it in the shop, you know? So it's tempting to go back to that, but man, we're so deep into, we've grown so much and we've developed this audience that you always hope to be able to develop. Um, You know, as my mom, you know, told me like, I've been doing this for, all my life and I'd be an idiot to quit now yeah yes yeah it's funny we have those conversations I was gonna ask do you you (laughs) think so the the sort of you're talking about and it's the same in the UK actually that traditionally unless you lived in London or Oxford or Cambridge or Edinburgh and you wanted to work in publishing or you that will have that sort of creative job Mm. there was no chance so for me, where I grew up in the Midlands at that time, 30 years ago, I, I thought the same thing. I thought... Staffordshire is the Oklahoma. I haven't got any money. My parents haven't got any money. How am I ever <laughs> going to start off my career, my desired career in publishing? I mean, it's changed now, hasn't it? Has it, yes. is it, is it changing in the US as well? Is, you know, places like Oklahoma, are they getting their sort of literary uh, creative centre? Is, is there a comparative thing happening in, no, I don't know, Nebraska or something like that? You know, it's better the mfa programs have brought a lot more literary clout to non-traditional hubs um but publishing is publishing is not a money-making venture generally speaking and whenever the entire industry exists elsewhere in the country there it is easier now for us to get the message out and to find readers but it's tough unless you have somebody on the ground to be able to, you know, make that next logical step adaptations and, you know, rights and all the, you know, the big, especially in the comics world where, you know, those, that's where, you know, that's where, you know, the paycheck comes from. So it's still really, really tough, but luckily there's conventions going on. There's, you know, there is outlets for us to get the word out and to find readers at, you know, across the country, which didn't exist, you know, 30 years ago. So it has gotten better, but it's still not easy. Jerry, got to bring you into this. Um, at what stage did you join in? I mean, 
Charles was saying, you know, quite early on. So were you sort of a founding sort of member of this this effort? Uh, I some as far as the reboot of Literati Press, uh, I feel like I, I kind of came in at that point. Uh, yeah. Like Charles had mentioned before, we had done a few short comic stories together. Um, and I've been working on some of my own things. And I had I also had a full time job working in a door factory making uh, d- doors for homes. And and that was like a 55 hour a week job. And yeah. then I, I basically moonlighted trying to, you know, gain clients and doing freelance work and going to Comic Cons as well. And so mm. uh, so the slog was very, very similar for me as well. And then um, when uh, Charles and I began working together on Glamorella's Daughter. Um, Which I read, yes, I did. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes, um, Goodreads um, review is yeah, up. Yeah, I, I, I loved oh, it. I, I, I have to thank tell you, you, I absolutely loved it. I re- oh, it was brilliant. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so We're really much. proud of it. We are really proud of it. We're excited mm. of where it's going, and I'm currently drawing issue six right now, and we just, I mean, we, I, I'm, 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 I'm emotionally invested uh it, as much as like so many of the readers have been emotionally invested in as well and so it's been fun to to draw up a, 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 a fan base for the comic as well it's been a very great experience but um it was Glamorelle's daughter that kind of brought me into the fold of literati press as far as like being a part of the uh foundation of of this new publishing movement for them uh trying to distribute the comics in a larger realm and so um and like you like you also mentioned about volunteer basis i i also jumped in uh to volunteer art direct uh and to help uh help other creatives try to you know work on their comics as far as like proofreading or uh mentoring just a lot of different aspects of of that kind of uh field for us and so uh i've had a lot of fun with it it's it's been really great because like i i initially uh, also considered moving out of Oklahoma. When I first got out, when I first graduated out of college, I was set to uh, try to enter the comics world in California. I was, in fact, I had a place set up in San Diego. And the week I was supposed to move out there, I, I lost that that home. And so um, I just ended up staying here, getting a job and figuring out what my next steps would be. Um, and that's when I actually started building, uh, started finding and, and continuing to build a small community of of comic creators yes. and and that made me realize that you know you know maybe you know I could do some of that here maybe and this was before the internet was really you know considered uh you know a viable outlet for create creativity and so um it was it was fun getting to really realize that a lot of creatives are in Oklahoma and are trying to do it in Oklahoma and so I figured like you know what I need to I need to try it here because like I love being here I love the community here and I love uh trying to help elevate that as well and so it, it was it was a huge challenge that I just love to take on and so uh being a part of literary press in that new phase for them was a was a great step for me in that process absolutely I, I, my ears sorry Charles yeah, just to, and just for some context on Jerry, um, mm. whenever we were trying to, uh, when we were trying to come up as a comics publisher, uh, Jerry was the guy. Um, he's the guy out of Oklahoma that 
anyone who's in the comic scene or into comics knows Jerry's name. <laughs> He's the one that everybody was looking at. It's like, okay, Jerry's going to break through and Jerry's going to break through. We were just waiting for the publishing industry to catch up with them. And he's had, you know, definitely had some successes, but um, luckily for us, the publishing industry hadn't swept in and stolen Jerry. So we were lucky enough to still have his immense talent. Um, he's absolutely beloved in Oklahoma and one of the biggest conventions here, New World Comic Con. Um, uh, it actually, every single year, they have a different Jerry shirt. <laughs> and it's not a shirt that Jerry designs is a shirt that somebody else designs of Jerry. And they're all, I you love know, that. Puns and things That's like fantastic. that. That's brilliant. Jerry has, Jerry has no say in the matter. It's something that they just continue doing without Jerry's input or, you know, willingness. And it's, it's, have, but it's have you got a copy of all these t-shirts and Jerry? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, they, 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 surprise me with them because like i'm hoping like you know the next year is like okay maybe they're gonna stop this you know but (laughs) the next convention happens and they have shown up with a new t-shirt design of jerry like like the one that came out this year was just my face bold with like a a little wick like a bomb and it was called sorry 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 not at all (laughs) answer that phone monster and so it was, it, and it said uh, "Jerry Bomb," <laughs> very similar to the I, you know, Cherry Bombs, you know, song. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and and what's what's even more fascinating is that they sell a lot of those shirts at the convention. I I'm just kind of blown away that people. I guess I mean, not to sound vain, but people love me enough to actually you know support just me as an image as a as an idea it's weird it's i just i think it's completely weird but i i love it and i love that that i have a fan base that supports me and encourages me and helps drive me on to just to do better and do more well i'm gonna have to find one on ebay yeah (laughs) we're we're talking to to an icon honestly you can actually i i you could probably get online um the t-shirt company they call themselves the okc as like spell v okay and yep. c as in c um you can go can to com and I, I think they sell that shirt online oh, i must have, well I, i've got a i've got a fourth, christmas present ideas i'm going to a party we're going to a party tomorrow 50th birthday party in brighton i brought a fourth doctor tom baker t-shirt from doctor oh, who um oh, no. who is my icon and but that, I do feel I really should be wearing your T-shirt there, Jerry. I mean, I'm going to be wearing my, my Tom Baker <laughs> scarf at this party we're going it's to. It's in the car, isn't it? It's a shame we can't show that off. I also <laughs> have one of those scarves. Uh, I love my Tom Baker scarf. Oh, marvellous. Marvellous. I, I, my ears pricked up earlier on when we were talking, um, very early on, talking about a table edit and that, you know, sort of the dark process of a table edit. The dark arts tell, of tell table us, edit. Tell us about that. <laughs> Who's involved and how long does it take and, and just how... How, how how many pointed elbows come out um, during um, a process like that? So we um, we have, of course, we have our editors. Uh, we have Chloe Harrison and Echo Gooch and myself. So everything that we do initially goes through our editors. Um, and then uh, once all those changes are taken, the last step of the process is bringing uh, what we call our council 
together. The council was a group of people beyond uh, beyond people who are actually involved, like in a day to day basis, but like very like people we consider experts in the comics field. Um, and we, you know, some of the other creators as well, and they'll we'll just come together at uh, the shop. And then we go through um, each page of the comic, one page at a time, and call out anything. You know, if it's big art changes, then those are usually things that um, we won't be able to execute. But like any anything that's a mistake, anything that's not quite ringing right, this is like the last. Then you know we'll do this one, and then we do a proofread after that, and that's that's the very end of the life. You know, the life of the creative process of a comic. And we always say it's going to take an hour and usually takes about three to four hours. <laughs> Sounds um, like one of my interviews. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, even, and even with the art as well, when we're doing the proofread, there are times where um, it, it's possible and even necessary to make some art changes. And I've done that with Glamorella's Daughter. The, yeah. the most recent issue, I had to make a significant art change, which thankfully I can do digitally and easily yes. um, and quickly as a result. Uh, but it was something that needed to be done to keep the quality of the comic uh, yeah. intact. And so it, it's, it, it's a very, very wonderful process to be a part of. Regard, sometimes it, it does take only an hour or two, but most times it does well, take. I, I presume, yeah. I presume it's, it's a massive learning process as well, isn't it? Because with all those different perspectives, I mean, it takes quite a bit of managing. And I've been in, involved in, in journalism um, where in, even three or four heads on one project can get very, very messy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I often have to remind myself the BBC is not a democracy. Uh, I'm the boss and uh, <laughs> I'll make the decision because you can go round and round in circles. But nonetheless... It's a bit I, like deciding what to eat for dinner, I mean, You know, Jerry, you're clearly very, very experienced in this field. You must learn things from, you know, people of ge- different generations of, of, of creators that are around the table. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm constantly learning. I mean, like... Uh, if I if I ever stop learning, then I might as well just retire because uh, I I'm constantly trying to gain new perspectives and new ideas and storytelling, and and I get that a lot in in uh, in in that roundtable because we have several comic creators. Um, the last table read we did for Alien Engaged, I mean I'm just floored by the the brilliant storytelling that uh, Colin and Greg, uh, the, the creators behind Alien Engaged. Uh, th- their humor and their t- their comic timing and their storytelling is mm. just inspirational for me. Uh, I it's I constantly am taking away stuff from every meeting and every roundtable. Uh, we have we, we have so many different unique perspectives and so many different comics in in literati uh, press. Uh, I'm just I'm just fascinated by the fact that we've got so many diverse stories right now in our catalog, and so. Um, it's definitely a great experience for us to learn uh, different storytelling aspects and different art styles and being able to just mm. grab and take all these things and add it to my own style and my own storytelling process. So do you think your style has changed then as a result? You sort of sort of de- developed, your, de- as you develop your own style, that it sort of gets more sophisticated the more you do. It does. Absolutely. It does. Like I, I look back at the first issue of Glamorella versus the, the fifth issue of Glamorella. And like, I see co- a huge, huge chasm of difference between the first and the fifth issues. And uh, it, it's, it's 
uh, it's a little nauseating, honestly, just to look at the first issue and see like all these things I could have done, but I, but I'm still very proud of the work, and I love, uh, I love that I can continue to uh, evolve in that process, and I'm okay with that because like I think I think a style should always continue to grow and evolve because um, I think that's going to ultimately incorporate uh, higher quality as you evolve. I'm fascinated by the strictures of what you do in terms what? of look, we're, we're, we're publishing traditional novel fiction. We've got 80, let's for argument's sake, say the average crime novel should be about 80,000 words. That's a lot of words. So <laughs> you're trying to do that. You know, uh, we were trying to figure it out. Yeah, you know, so for, I don't know trying... whether you call them when you're doing, you know, whether it's called a cell, like it is an animation, uh, oh, panel. a panel. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I was looking yeah. for the word. So you've got a panel. You've got to sum up within that panel, I presume. And this is me looking at it from very much afar. Uh, what might be a page or even two or even a whole More scene? That, I would say, yeah. A whole chapter of a novel might be contained in that one or two panels. That's so hard from someone who's used to, I mean, we're used to telling authors cut 20,000 words. But but to distill your story and to get the balance right between what's contained in the dialogue element and the imagery, mm. that is, I, I, I take my hat off to all of you. It's, it's extraordinary. Well, I love that dynamic of storytelling because it, 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 it means a true collaborative effort because um, Charles writes beautiful scripts and he also panels them out so he's got he's got visions in his head of how these layouts could possibly go um and so it's actually very helpful to me in thinking about possibly that kind of layout but but even better and even more to charles's credit he gives me such creative leeway to uh revise that panel layout uh, or that panel number per page uh, say if he's got six panels a page and I feel like I could uh, take two of those panels and like basically mash them together, you know, to tell a better story mm -hmm. in one panel, you know, he lets me do that. And it's, it's great. I, it's, it's one of the best collaborative efforts I could have in my experience in comics thus far. And uh, I, I doubt I will have that kind of experience again. Cause like I think about the traditional market and, and I don't know if that kind of freedom is there or not. No. Say, uh, but I just know, like in several uh, other larger companies, like you know Marvel, the big two, Marvel, DC, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know that they have very stringent rules, of, you know, in their in their storytelling and their styles, you know. And so, so I I love the fact that I can uh, tell a story um, and uh, even like add things to make that story more full in the art alone. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can. I'm also a part of a uh, a group of children's book writers and illustrators as well, because like I was also messing around with. I've done children's books as well, uh, picture books specifically, and um, nowadays the rules in picture books, you know, the manuscripts are probably average 500 to 800 words at the most, and so then the job for an illustrator becomes even more vast and more important because they have to definitely make that story uh, cohesive and full and the world building, you know, a lot of that weighs in on the illustrator alone. And so yeah. 
Uh, I love that aspect as well. And I, I, I get that in, I get to do that in comics as well. So like I get to create all these extra details um, like if there's a city scene, you know, I get to, you know, at I get to make that environment. I get to make that atmosphere, you know, where that where the audience, you know, wants to walk in that area mm. and start becoming, start following that story from that moment on, you know. And so the established, you know, from the establishing page to uh, the many panels that follow, you know, you you have a lot as an illustrator. You do get a lot on your shoulders as far as trying to keep the audience engaged in turning page after page absolutely charles i mean tell, tell me when you're writing a, a story you might be then asking an, an artist to, to 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 go in and, and interpret that how many words are you talking about you know typically um so the general rule is um you want no more than 25 words per dialogue bubble 50 words per panel um you're doing um, between six, averaging about six panels per page yep. and a standard comics, about 22 pages, give or take. Okay. Um, so you don't have a whole lot of real estate to work with. So the scripts themselves look like screenplays. Um, mm -hmm. you're just separate mm -hmm. out the individual panels. Um, so like, um, the, you're playing a lot with white space and that's one of the, you know, I write novels as well. So I, I, you know, work on both extremes, but the fun thing about comics is that, um, the, you're letting the audience still do the same amount of frontal brain work that they have to do when they're reading anything else. Um, but then they're having to tie all these inferences in from imagery that you would normally spell out in yes. um in narration um so it's it's an it takes a little while for a writer to move over to that and it also takes a little while for writers to trust artists and i've gotten to that point where mm -hmm. i've done enough comics now that um i'm pickier about the artists that i want to work with now because I don't want to work with an artist that isn't able to elevate the story that I'm already telling. Yes. Um, the fact that Jerry is as willing to um, tell me I'm wrong and find a better way to do it is excellent because that's, you know, that's the fun of collaboration is mm. usually, you know, one person isn't right over the other. Usually you've got two good ideas and somewhere in the middle is where, you know, you end up landing and it, better than both of the original ideas and it's really exciting as a writer to have written this script have it in your head you know kind of roughly what you want it to look like and then the artist comes in and interprets it in a way that surprises you and elevates you know elevates the you know the story enriches the characters adds a, a lot more emotional de depth that would have been there otherwise and it's you know, it's excellent. And then whenever you work with an artist that isn't able to do that, it feels very flat. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. and it looks looks like it's supposed to look and all the panels are where they're supposed to be and all the dialogues where it's supposed to be. I'm actually lettering a comic right now, um, which is why I'm kind of clicky here. Yes. Uh, um, but it's, yeah. But then when you work with an artist where, and I'm sure this 
is a similar to like musicians working together where you know you're have one idea that you're playing with your head and then somebody come come in and shift that idea and play with it and warp it slightly so that it becomes something new and interesting it's it's a it's a great experience mm. yeah it must be it must be i love i love when in a panel um if charles has a particular line of dialogue and um if he sometimes he may uh, have an emotion expressed by that character, or sometimes just it's just that line of dialogue, and so I get to interpret what kind of facial expression that character you know might have, and you know it is a beautiful moment when I when I've drawn that face and it feels like the perfect expression, and and, mm. and when readers finally you know when readers get to read see that and feel that in the line and the facial expression together i mean it's just a wonderful wonderful merge of the two yeah. it's like twice as powerful isn't it yeah. because they, they're, they're taking it from two sources and I'm, I'm, we're talking to charles martin and jerry bennett from literati press over in oklahoma and it's been a brilliant <laughs> interview and i'm conscious of time gentlemen because i know you're busy i know we could talk for hours i know really i'm absolutely <laughs> i'm hooked i'm really hooked um there was one question that's that prior to this interview that, that struck me because in our UK independent crime publishing world, there are, uh, well, certainly uh, there's a very, very notable um, figure who's been incredibly successful as a novelist, but had a background in graphic novels. And that's Barry Hutchison writing as J.D. Kirk, who has sold millions of books as a, as a full writer. And he just did it writing crime as a departure from writing graphic novels. Yeah. And, uh, he just kind and, of fell into it, didn't he? <laughs> um, I guess that one of the keys to his success, and I think he he pointed this out when we spoke to him a few months ago at London Book Fair, was the fact that, you know, he knew how to tell a story. And boy, do you have to know how to tell a story in the format that you're, you guys are yeah, working. Yeah, because you, you've, got, you've got less to work with to tell the same story. Yeah, less is more in this, in this case. Well, yeah. yeah, there's... So, like, there are writers who are able um, to tell less interesting stories just because of the beauty of their language um mm. you know or wordsmiths than they are storytellers and you really can't do that in comics you can get away like the um the closest like that would be would be a comic that's just so beautifully executed that the story doesn't really matter as much but those are comics that are never really going you know they'll have their audience but they're really art pieces and they're never really going to take off to a wider market um yeah so with the comic doesn't matter how beautiful the art is if the characters aren't there and the story's not there you're sunk yeah um yeah yeah and so you know and story isn't just in the writing the story is in the way that the art is executed the way that the character expressions are um ultimately you're telling every story is is every story is an effort to put the reader own readers own experiences into play as they're reacting to the story you're telling and if they can't see anything of themselves in your story then they're never really going to be able to latch on and the the dialogue will help but without those expressions looking genuine Mm -hmm. um then you know the comic's not gonna it's just not ever going to work yeah absolutely well gentlemen are you ready for this um we did 
<laughs> Deep breath now. <laughs> there's there's two things to this. First of all, everyone dreads it, but also they know they that dread it. They look forward to it. But they also they also know <laughs> that the interview itself, the whole process, is nearly over because we're coming to. The... So there's always a sense of relief when we get to this point. <laughs> and there are so many things I still want to talk to you guys about. So we need to get you back on. Um, oh, yeah. If nothing else, Rebecca and I are debating at the moment. We're going to get married next year. And we oh, want to find somewhere to go for our honeymoon. Yes. So you want to go to Oklahoma? Oklahoma, in the middle of the winter. <laughs> Sounds like a place. Yes. But I want to come and visit your bookshop. Oh. I want to go Norman. to the donut shop too next yeah. door. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 we, I just, we're going to make a pilgrimage. Do, what you should do is you rent an RV and then just drive across the country. That's oh, what I'd love to do that. Well, I might this do what... 66, we're right well, we there. should do what my ex-colleague did. A guy called John Lees holds the, the world record for crossing walking across the united states he did it in 54 days coast to coast roller skates no Let's one's ever come on close it was in the 1970s yeah. no roller skates roller skates yeah right we wouldn't we wouldn't live <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't make it ever done that though i'm sure they have i'm sure they must have done everyone's done everything across america pushing a pee with their nose or something a scooter <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we we will do the RV thing. Um, but you know, at the moment, Hobeck bears down on us. But anyway, what is more pertinent is we need to get to, to my random question. Okay, okay, let me just do the build up. Yeah, um, yeah. Rebecca's random question. So this is a question I asked my. I've got three sons, and I asked them this question recently, inspired by um, we've been watching a show called The Orville. And there's one episode. The Seth MacFarlane thing. Oh, look, we're getting applause from Jerry here. <laughs> Which is great. It's just great. Oh, I love absolutely love the Orville. Big big Bortus fans here. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. I want a Bortus in my life, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm grumpy enough to be one. Yeah. You are a bit like Bortus, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so we've just lost the entire audience. They've never seen it before. Well, there was there was one episode where he uh, fetches a mobile phone from the past, doesn't he? Yes. He has a mobile phone. Anyway, um, so my question to you is: if you could go into the past. With one modern invention, it could be anything. So let's say you go five, you travel five hundred years into the past. What thing would you take with you to show the people? Well, so there's this book. There's this really really fun book um, called How to Invent Everything by Ryan North. Uh, Ryan North, uh, he wrote for Adventure Time. He did Squirrel Girl. He's just a really fun writer. Um, and this particular book is about, it's a manual for a time machine. And this isn't a, really a spoiler because they deal it in the first, the first chapter. Okay. So the first chapter is like how to fix your time machine. And like all it has in there is there's no serviceable parts for this time machine. So the rest of the book is, okay, so now you're stuck in the past. How do you identify where you are in the past and what you invent next? And it's a general science book but it is the funniest, one of the funniest books I've ever read. So it's just like this hilarious general science book. Um, and, but that like, you know, if I was going to go in the past, like, especially if you're like any kind of situation where you're stuck in the past, but like being able to bring the vast wealth of knowledge that we have in the past and be like, okay, so um, like this whole burning, you know, burning fossil fuels thing, Okay, so there's other ways. So let's start working on it now before we, you know, yeah. our impending climate doom. Um, yeah, I think that like, 
let's see if we can accelerate, you know, civil rights and all these other things that we're still struggling with today and see if that path might be a little bit, a little bit easier. Um, And then really just hope that I don't turn into like a tyrant with all this knowledge and resources that I have. But yeah, that's what I would do. How about you, Jerry? My, um, yeah, what I would take, it would not be, yeah, I'm not, I'm not nearly as uh, wise and thoughtful <laughs> as Charles. Um, Ryan is the, the, Ryan North is the thoughtful one. I'm just stealing his idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it takes wisdom to steal from the best, so. Right, there you go. That's fair. <laughs> um, I would take my iPad Pro because uh, the fact that I could draw comics like three times as fast uh, now than I could before the technology was available. Uh, like I would, I would, I would, yeah, I would go back before internet, before all of that, and have this handy to create comics and create all of the stuff that I've been wanting to create that much faster. So they would think that was magic, though, wouldn't they? Five hundred years ago, they would totally think this is tis, man. Tis magic. This <laughs> man, and he's wearing a T-shirt with his face on it, and he has magic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it would let people know to uh, prepare for my coming. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. That's true. So what would you take? Oh, gosh, now I, I knew this. Would, I should have predicted that. I would ask this. him the question too, you see. <laughs> I, it's just really, really difficult. I mean, what do I, you know, uh, rely on? I probably, you know, it sounds terrible. But given I've got sleep apnea, I'll have to take my CPAP mask. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't last very long. I mean, you do you have know, to live. electricity, but. Um, I wouldn't ask very so, long about it. My middle son came with, uh, with quite a good answer, I thought. He said he'd take antibiotics to protect yeah. himself yeah. from all the diseases. <laughs> well, and it, depending on when you're going, like introducing antibiotics, you know, save millions and millions of lives. Yeah. It's 1350. Mm. The bubonic plague is raging. And you take yeah. antibiotics with you. It's going <laughs> yeah, you know, to put the leech business uh, out of business, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like Please stop killing all the cats and here are some pills. Just take them. Don't worry. Yeah, about yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, I love I love any time travel questions. I mean, they're just just the best. I and... do too. Yeah, I do. I love the idea that it is possible, even though. But it's a great phys- way. Phys- physicists, physicists think it is. <laughs> physicists. Oh, there's always a malapropism in every interview from Rebecca. So I love it. I love it. Listen, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah. You know, really fantastic. I, I honestly, it's opened my eyes to so much and really uh, appreciate your time, uh, your knowledge, your wisdom, and your energy uh, and your good humor and your, gluten-free donuts. and your friendship. So thank you so much. And we, uh, we ought to point everybody towards you. Where, where do we find Literati Press uh, online for people to, um, to discover any- your work? Any social media would be at Literati Press, L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-P-R-E-S-S. And then our website's literatipressok.com. And Jerry, what's your? Uh, yeah, I focus mostly on Instagram, and that would be artist Jerry Bennett. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's been... well we're definitely going to follow you. I'm going to uh, look you up in a minute. <laughs> we we owe Amy Lee. Um, a great thank you too for uh, introducing us mutually. So thank you so much um, to Amy. But you know, again, and we are we are going to go to Oklahoma, aren't we? We're going to come and visit. We yeah. definitely are. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Nice. <laughs> for the donuts and for the comics. But anyway, thank you, gentlemen, and uh, we wish you every success with every project from here on in. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks.
Thank, thank you, you, thank you. The same to you guys. Just the added audio value of we're here at this cafe. We're surrounded by very happy, slightly wet dogs. Uh, dogs who, love beaches. Oh, don't they? don't they? Don't they? Well, I love dogs on beaches. I mean, it's just brilliant. There's there's, there's two. They're just getting so excited because they're getting doggy biscuits, which are on the window there. Um, <laughs> It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. You know, before we travel back to um, the barn and Staffordshire and, and all the hard work to come next week, uh, as, as ever, uh, yeah, it's been nice to take a little time out here, catch up with old friends. And actually, I met up, and I ought to mention, uh, meeting up with Ant. Ant Bliss, um, great to see you, mate, last night. I hadn't, we hadn't seen each other for 31 years. No. We were, and, and we were at school together. And actually the barman who um, took a photo for us, Yes, it was his birthday and he was 31. And so that sort of struck you, didn't it, that, yep. gosh, this guy was born last time I met my friend from school. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, that, was, that was magical. So, um, yeah, it's been a, been a good weekend. So let's, um, got a wasp. Um, let's look ahead to the week ahead. Any books without coming out? Don't think so. Not this week. Not no. this week for once. We, um, we, we've know. got a Devil, Devil's Bridge affair coming out t- towards the end of October. Um, so the week after, actually. Um, so yeah, so we've got to sort of plough on with. That's our second book from Rob Gittins. Yeah. Um, it's getting great reviews. Don't forget the audiobook of Sin by Malcolm Holling Drake came out uh, last week as well, and again, gaining some traction. So uh, check that out. I mean, you know, I'm not going to blow my own trumpet on it, but I'm proud of my performance for sure. So lots of think, uh, things to, to concentrate on. And uh, when we get home, you're going to see your, your lad, Luke, who's just come back from Leeds for a weekend. Yeah, so I'm going to take him to the train station to go back again. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a little bit bizarre, but um, let's hope he's OK. So, well, thank you so much for joining us here on sunny beaches in Brighton. Uh, and Hove, I must stress it's Hove, not Brighton. I mean, when I was a reporter here, if you made that mistake, you would, you would be strung up in the, on, you know, marine parade or uh, madeira drive for getting that wrong well best to get it right then yeah, absolutely it's weird being back whenever i come back because i spent so much so, so much of my formative you know career years here but it's 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 a lovely place yeah it's, lovely. it's been wonderful to have your company here on the hop uh, the hopcast and on the beach <laughs> and on the beach we don't know who our guest is next week but we have some 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 yeses some great authors yes. so we will surprise you with an amazing author next week so it could could very well be someone who was at um, fatal shore yes i expect so but uh, thank you for joining us and uh, well it just remains for me adrian hobart and me rebecca collins to wish you a very happy and wonderful and joyous and creative week, week. bye bye You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.